Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast Inspire with myself, Nicola Wills. Today's guest is a lifestyle and business expert, motivational speaker, and New York Times bestselling author, and host of the Shalene Show video podcast. With over 90 million downloads, she is often recognized as one of the top 50 female entrepreneurs to watch. Our guest is perhaps known as the queen of infomercials with countless award-winning shows from 2005 to 2021. She has devoted herself to helping creative people build their own business and brand, believing that easily distracted people make the best entrepreneurs. Please welcome our guest, Shanine Johnson. Yeah, I'm so excited. This is so fun and very um, cool to know that we're like in two different time zones and how we had to coordinate this. Yes, it is uh, going seven o'clock here in the UK and we are over in LA. What time is it with you, Shaleen? It's a little before noon. I know. And on a Sunday. Honey, we are hustlers. We work on a Sunday. (laughs) Well, you know, if you love what you do, you do it all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So, Shaleen, I could have literally had about a 10-minute bio talking about you and what you have achieved in your life and impact that you've made on others. But let's go right back to the very beginning of where it all started. Who was baby Shaleen? Oh, my goodness. Um, You know, I think it started with, you hear a lot of entrepreneurs talk about like how they were that when they were young, like even high school lemonade stands newspaper routes, et cetera. And mine is similar to that. You know, I started um, started making money when I was very young. Uh, what I think is interesting though, is understanding why. Yeah. Like why some kids are just kids and why some kids feel like they need to make money. Like why, that's such an adult concept. And for yeah. me, I've examined it in therapy and I can like literally trace it back to an experience when my parents were entrepreneurs and they, I was uh, probably in sixth or seventh grade and they experienced fire. They're, they were in a business that was really super cutthroat where they had bought a bunch of um, assets and they had them in a warehouse. It, they'd taken all their life savings and put it in a warehouse and they believe that one of their competitors set it on fire like the day after they had acquired all of these assets and um, my parents lost everything. Yeah. Uh, my dad brought me into his office like about a week later and in an effort to teach me about uh, interest, yeah. how to make interest and how to make your money make money. You know, he sat me down and he handed me like a little like blue bank book and he said, you know, here's your bank book. And um, so I'm going to teach you how your money can make you money. Now, you, you know, your mother and I have had a fire and we're going to be okay. But what we'd like to do is borrow your money and we're going to pay you back more. Oh, yeah. And it was just, you know, it was a teaching moment for him. And you just never know how your kids are going to interpret things. But for me, it was a moment where I was like, oh, this is my va- my value. I'm I'm like a child. And I'm saving the family. Like, uh, this wow. is how I can save people. This is how I can help people is by like, this is my importance. This is yeah. what makes me valuable, Yeah, um, which then led to me just starting a bunch of businesses, even in high school, I started buying used cars for, you know, in a state auction for (laughs) very little money. And then I would fix them up. Like I'd spend, you know, just a couple hundred dollars having them painted and fixing them up cosmetically. And then I would resell them. This would be even before I could drive. And I realized like, this is 
a way for me to make money and I don't have to like have a job. Yeah. And I just continued doing that through college. It's I was the first person to go to college uh, on either side of my family and, and we yeah. couldn't afford to do that. So I uh, flipped cars and I started, it was called the All Michigan Auto Swap Meet. And that's how I put myself through college is as a, a someone who helped other people were selling their cars privately to people who wanted to buy a car from yeah. a private owner. I love that. Do you think that, I mean, for someone like me, you know, looking at that, it's like, wow, that's amazing that you got the entrepreneurial spirit from your dad. Do you think there's part of that that then made you feel like I always have to be hustling? Oh, yeah. You know, in fact, I didn't even remember that story with my dad until I had gone to therapy many years later. Oh, really? To address why I was a workaholic, yeah. you know? And, and, um, and so that's when that, I was like, why is it I can't relax? Why is it I can't, why is it I feel like a bad person? Yeah. Uh, uh, like an invalid, like there's, uh, why do I feel useless and worthless if I'm not making someone money? It didn't even have to be me. I would give it away. I'd, it wasn't, I didn't care about money, but I needed to be valuable to other people because I could provide for them money. Yeah. And so, and it felt like something I just couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. I couldn't sit through a movie. I couldn't, I could go to my kids' games and like be physically present as yeah. a mother, but I, I felt guilty about it. Like I felt like I need to be like if I'm sitting here watching them play the sport or if I'm playing with them, you better also keep your brain busy on thinking about how you're going to make your next buck, you know? And yeah. it was uh, it caused a lot of pro problems. I, I didn't like that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And do you know what? I can completely relate. Now, I haven't done the therapy to know where that has come from, but it's almost like a nervous, anxious twitch that yep. goes like, and it's almost like it feels under my chin. That's the only way I try to explain it. It's like, it's here. It's like, yeah. And yeah, I yeah. just, you know, yeah. it's like, there must be more to do. There must be more to do. Um, yeah, always. And there is, you know. There but is. Of course there is. And then there's part of it that like, I just love that. I love being on the hustle all the time. But it's almost like you, I didn't really even notice myself because I'm like, well, this is just who I am. But when external yeah. people say to you. I think a lot of people feel that and they don't know like, where does it come from? And I think yeah. it's important to know. I think it is important to, I think it's important to explore because it can very easily, like any addiction, slip for, to a place yeah. where it's longer healthy, where it's impacting your relationships, where it's impacting your life. And yeah, we, because working and hustling is, accepted then therefore this is an addiction that we applaud but it can yeah. be just as devastating and question as a woman do you think also it's it kind of hinders us being in our feminine energy to then be able to receive love from the masculine sure yeah to some extent yeah i think it can yeah and and then i think there's also this like biological thing which I'm sure I'm going to get in trouble for saying, but like, I Tell think me. part of our nature is we also want to be taken care of. We also want to have somebody who just like does everything, you know, and um, where we can just be, I don't know, um, scooped up and taken care of. And, and that's really hard when your brain is like, no, I have to do everything. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't take care of me. But yet I think it's just part of our nature. 
Yeah, yeah. But do you think it's part of, as in ours, as in mine and your nature, or do you think it's in everybody? Or do you think it's it's the the trauma that happened? I'm so specific about this because it's literally like listening and speaking to myself when you say this, because, you know, right now, like, that's how I feel. Like, I'm in, like, more than ever. And I just want to, like, be able to go, it's okay, Nicola. Yeah then be a good mom. It's just a it's just a full circle. And I know that people listening to this, like my audience are basically me. You know, they yeah. are moms that want it all. Yeah. So where's the line? Or is there not a line? Like how there do you is, figure it you, out? You have to find that line. I think it requires you setting aside the time, the space and the grace to figure out where things are off. Because we just go and we go and we go. Yeah, yeah. Um, I call it tired and wired where you're just like, I'm, I'm tired, but I'm not going to, if I stop kind of like apparently a shark, if it stops moving, it just like dies. You know, you, you get to this point where you're like, I'm so tired, but if I stop, like everything's going to implode. Like I might never get my energy again. And so I was operating in tired and wired and not giving myself the time and space and grace to figure out like wh- what's off, what's off, yeah. where am I off? And so I learned very early um, to take myself through and I do this on a regular basis now through a personal assessment where I score the important areas of my life <laughs> and where my and I'm scoring how I feel like I'm doing based on only my perception oh. based on only my like where do I think I need to be and 90% of the time when I take that kind of a test Nikolai I just I score myself very low in the areas that are most important to me. And I score myself so high in terms of like, okay, I'm doing great in work. I'm doing great in in social media content. I'm doing great financially. But why have I scored myself low as a mother? Why have I scored myself low in my romantic relationship? Yeah. Well, I've scored myself low there because I'm. Not, it's hard. It's, yeah. it's easy for me to work my ass off. That's easy. Yeah. So when and- I do that, then I can go like, okay, this is why I feel off. Yeah. And then I have to make accommodations in what it is I do. There's never perfect balance, but yeah. I do believe there is a balance that makes you feel like all like you all is right. You know, yeah. that like the calm this- energy. Like I'm seeking that calmness. And I totally yeah. and I guess my children are four and five. We have just moved back from Ibiza. You know, we're in London and in almost in the center of London where we are. So it's almost like like the hustle got back. You know, and it's like, yeah, I, I get it. But I've never really thought of it like that. Like it's come from somewhere. It has to have done because my yeah. mom and dad weren't natural entrepreneurs. But yeah. I always had the feeling that I was made for more and it was on me to create that more, you know, um, and here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Hustling and hustling. Right. So, Janice, you go, let's take it back. So yes. you've got an incredible father. I mean, that's so, I can't believe that happened with him that in the burning down like that's just yeah. outrageous and i guess yeah. kind of back then in the day there weren't cct cam- cctv cameras and all that kind oh, of stuff no, right yeah. No. yeah 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 so there was no yeah. like he did it it was just what can you do you know well, exactly but yeah and I got, that- sorry i've got you know i got a lot of great um, money mindset from my parents even yeah. though you know I, I learned a lot from the mistakes they made etc yeah. um again even that lesson that he meant to teach me uh, I I don't fault him in any way shape or form like that was a really good teaching lesson you just you don't know how you're going to f up your kids (laughs) the best of intentions right yeah 
Um, but yeah, it was also a gift. Um, and yeah. I grew up in a household where we were encouraged to take a lot of risks uh, yeah. physically. Yeah. Uh, my dad, it was, uh, you know, he raced motorcycles. And so he was a daredevil. He was an adrenaline junkie. I didn't realize until he got diagnosed with ADHD in his 70s. And I'm like, oh, this all makes there so much go. sense now, you know? And and so, so it was like the perfect incubator for someone who's an entrepreneur because I wasn't afraid to make mistakes. I wasn't afraid to fail. I was encouraged right. to fail. I was encouraged to take risks. I was encouraged to do all the different things. And I, I felt good about the way my brain worked because right. that's what I saw from my dad. Yeah. Except when I was outside of my home, right? Like in school, I felt um, like there must be something wrong with me. Like there's something not right about my brain. I Because I, I having ADHD, you have all these different and being easily distracted. You have these things that don't work well in society. Like you need to show up on time to keep a job. You need to be able to stay focused to get through school. You need to be able to, you know, finish reading an essay to, or reading a book to write the essay. And I struggled with all of those things, but I was like, I know I'm, I know I'm smart. Like why, yeah. why? And I was so embarrassed, like in school when they would hand out the papers and everyone would show their grade. And I would just find any possible way for no one to see my grades. Cause I'm like, I'm smarter than you. You got an A and I got a D or I got a C plus, but I know I'm smarter than you. Like I, yeah. it was weird. And then, um, but I always got a lot of, I felt good about myself mm. because of the entrepreneurial ideas that I would come up with yeah. um, and I had lots of them so as I mentioned I put myself through college with the car swap me but I was doing like five other little side hustles at the same time and I continued doing those even after my husband and I were married um, I was still like had all these different side hustles yeah and and the addiction so it was perfect because I could you know <laughs> eight hours a week yeah, you're there. And so let's talk about Brett because he is incredible. How did you two meet? Um, at the library. No, just joking. Um, <laughs> we met at a dance club um, in, at Michigan State. He was a um, a quarterback yeah. for a university here in the U.S., uh, UCLA. He was a quarterback for UCLA. And he something had happened with the coaching staff and he was visiting all these other schools and he had already decided on a school and he just went to Michigan State, which is where I was on a whim. And um, we were talking about this like last night at dinner and he, the football stadium is across, directly connected to the um, the place where I did all of my studies, which I studied justice, morality and constitutional democracy. And Whoa. it was this little tiny honors college for philosophy. And it was attached to the football stadium. And Brett goes, Shaleen, I know that when I walked in through those doors, he's like, I, I had this weird feeling like I'm supposed to be here. He goes, I really feel like I felt your energy. And I believe that, you know, I really, I don't know if it's cosmic or whatever, but we, um, we, when we saw each other, it was like, I'd never, I felt like I'd never seen anyone who looked like him. Oh. And I told him last night, I'm like, I think there are people who look like you, but I never saw them until yeah. I saw you. You know? Yeah. And so, so did you, was it love at first sight? Like? It was, it was something at first sight. Oh. I don't know if I believe in love at first sight, but it was like, yeah. it was, it was like a weird, shocking feeling. And mm. he said that he says it's love at first sight. And, um, I, I guess, I guess if that's a thing, maybe it was. Yeah. And how old were you then? So young. 
20. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm just 54 now. Yeah. I'm like 33 years. I know you're still looking like 20, but that is, you know, it's like, <laughs> what is the, if you could like pinpoint the reason why you still, so just kind of let's go back and just how I met you. So Shalene and I actually <laughs> met around the pool in Nobu, in Ibiza. <laughs> Um, I was on my one of my very good friends, Claire's fishing guns, Kenji. And Shaleen, Claire and I was like, I'm gonna mess the show. She's at Nobu, she can see. And Colleen, uh, Shaleen then came around the pool and then we spent the afternoon together chatting and they were like, like, we're going to a slide tonight. Do you wanna come? And then we were like, Oh, they definitely won't come, no. And then they chatted. Oh yeah, and so we had a and we partied oh. and then we went to high afterwards. And what I just love and i just remember saying to everyone around i was like he is in love with oh, her breathless like yeah you know it's like that like you can, it's pouring out of him it's like that that's my woman and you're like that's my man and that's 33 years of marriage yeah the secret how do you how have you maintained that level of like fizzle yeah yeah we haven't maintained it. It's it's ramped okay. up. You know, we um, we're much more in love today than we really? were. Much more. Yeah. Um, I like him so much more. I love like I I. It, it's hard to describe, but I will try. Um, part of the reason why our love is deeper and stronger is because we've been through some really really hard things. Yeah, and we. Every time we go through a really, really hard thing and we just look at each other and say, I want to kill you. I hate you so much right now, but I love you so much. And I know we're meant to be together and we'll get through this and we'll be better and we'll be stronger. And every time we do that, it's it just like ramps up the appreciation we have for each other, the love we have for each other, the texture, the history, the forgiveness, the it's just hard to describe, but we have had you know more than a couple things and we'll have more in the future which is an amazing thing too because every time something does happen whether it's something he's gone through or something i've gone through or something we've done to each other it always is better but i i I don't know that everyone can do that because i think most and we were we were talking about this last night because we went out with another couple that were they're like really deeply in love um and they've been together like six or seven years so who knows if that's going to last a lifetime, sure. but you do know when you've met someone who's like, I'm going, I will get better for you. When you meet yeah. someone who's like, I will do whatever I need to do to be better for you. That is, it's hard to tear that apart. Yeah. Yeah. And what I have experienced and, and kind of witnessed. So, you know, both of us have a, a love and appreciation for the network marketing industry, don't we? And so what I have and within my my or my organization that I see in my network, lots of women um, start network marketing. They do mm-hmm. lots of personal development, lots of growth mm-hmm. within themselves. Yes. And then they outgrow their husbands, okay? Yeah. And so mm-hmm. would you say that both yourself and Brett, you like have grown, like you have done the inner work? Yeah. Yeah. And I, to your point, I see a lot of that too. And then yeah. there becomes in some instances, this disparity, disparity, disparity between income and power and value. Yeah. And then yeah. in 
sometimes a woman is becomes the breadwinner, right? Yeah. Or or maybe she just starts earning, and until that point she hadn't, and yep. so there was this you know balance and power, and then suddenly she starts earning, and suddenly the partner. It's not that they don't like the business or they don't like um, that she's successful. What they don't like is the feeling that maybe she won't need me. Maybe yeah. I'm not important. Maybe she can decide to leave. And yeah. and that in some instances, it's just people haven't done the work on themselves. If yeah. you want a relationship to work long-term, there's personal development. But I find that very few people actually do relationship development where they're really understanding yeah. how to have better communication, how to be a better partner, how to, how to like be a better person for your person and so when it comes to that personal development for Brett and I anyways yeah I, I I'm a I'm obsessed like I I don't wake up a day and not read a book or listen to a podcast that focus on how can I be how can I evolve you yeah. know it's kind of like a hobby and yeah. um when I did that I would always I know I at first when we were first married I was like you should read read this book listen to this podcast you know all those things and he just didn't and yeah. I'm like, it would it would make me mad. I'm like, why? I can't be mad that who I married isn't me. Yeah, I don't want to be married to me. So what I started doing was just um, kind of downloading it. I would say, here's what I just read. Like, what do you think about this? And talking about it, or I would read to him a passage, or I would just talk to him about what it was I experienced. And he's said many times, like, I feel like I've read every book that you've read, every lesson you've learned, you've, you know, it's been something you've helped me with. And yeah. then of course, therapy was really huge, yeah. especially for him um, and me too, but like really for Brett, it was life-changing. And how old were you both when you kind of divulged into therapy? Um, well, I've always done therapy, like even since I was a kid. Um, oh, my wow. parents were like that, you know what I mean? There yeah. were those, like I was, I had a fear of dogs when I was younger and my parents were like, oh, we'll send you to a, a therapist. I'm like, okay, this is amazing. Wow. I'm sitting here in this room where this adult is like listening to every single word I said and taking notes. So I, I always had a very positive association with therapy. And, um, and, and Brett uh, didn't necessarily, but I think he went for the first time, I don't know, he probably was like 35 maybe. So we've been married for like 15 years. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Just I just you two are such a power couple, and and I really can see that, that you know you, just by being with you and spending time with you, the deep respect and friendship that you have, and it's just like you You're had like, more fun than any of any of us, and we were on the Hendy, and I was just like, that is yeah. inspiration if I have ever seen it, and, and we all we all talked about it, and still do to this day, uh. so. You know, just part of it is also, if I may, yeah. I, I want your your girls to, to know this. It's also the season that we're in because when I was in your season, I didn't yeah. have this lightness. Um, you know, I I didn't have this marriage. Yeah. I didn't. I was so worried about the kids. I was worried about him. I was oh, oh constantly asking him, "What's wrong? Is something wrong? Is something wrong?" Like I asked him that question a thousand times a day because we just weren't connected. And so I don't want anyone who's hearing this go, uh-oh, I've married the wrong person or my life is shit because mine doesn't sound like this. We were yeah. there too. We were in yeah. that season where it's like, you just, you know, you're exhausted and you're consumed by all the things. 
But if you hang in there, if, if it's the person who cares as much for this to continue as you do, you hang in there and it does keep getting better and better and better. Yeah. It's like when your, your babies were little tiny things and people told you it does get easier. Yeah. It's, it's different. Um, it's a different kind of hard, but it does get easier in a way. And, and I think marriage, business, figuring out all those things, they do. You just have to have faith. Yeah. Love that. I feel like this is a therapy Like before session. we started, he um, like he, he knew I was going to be recording uh, a podcast. So he like wrote me this cute oh, little, and I'll read it. It says, I love, I love you. you. You are my everything. Oh. Yeah, he, he knew I would see this before I started recording. And so, and so was he not like that then? Back? No. Okay. Now, a little, yeah. little. I mean, glimpses of it, yes, definitely. Yeah. But he was um, just, you know, he just had things he needed to process from his own childhood and own experiences that, yeah. you know, I think we we think I'm past whatever, it hap- whatever happened in my childhood, right? I'm not sure if you're familiar with the ACE uh, test. It's a, yeah. I'll send you a link to it. It's um, yeah. a test where you score how many different childhood traumas you were exposed to and um you know it's interesting when you look when you have someone you love take that test and you see how many things they really they it impacts who you are and how you are and what you how you show up as an adult if you especially haven't gone process those things with a therapist and my score is a zero just by luck total luck that i had um no childhood traumas now I've experienced yeah. like worse things as an adult, but, and I really do think it's luck. I mean, it's parent privilege. It's like, you know, things can happen from, even if your parents are amazing, you can still experience traumas, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. As a child and, and I just, just by luck. But um, so for him going to therapy and working through some of those things just freed him to oh. like suddenly he had a sense of humor. Suddenly he was loving and vulnerable and cause he didn't yeah. have to like be thinking about how do I not think about these things? One, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, you, <laughs> I feel like, I know this is a podcast for other people, but I feel like this is like a one-on-one conversation for us. So wow. thank you so much for that. It's just, it's just, I'm in a season. We're in a season and it is just the the peace that your words have given me. And I know that they will to my listeners as well, because most of them are, you know, like me. Um, yeah, it's amazing. So, Celine, take us back. So, <laughs> you've met Brett. You're at university. What then happens from that? You know, you start having an amazing relationship with him. You go, you leave university, and what does your life look like in your twenties? Yeah, so it was very uh, busy. It was very um, stressful. Like, so he hadn't gone to therapy yet. I hadn't done therapy for you know being a workaholic. Um, I had a million different businesses going at once, and it was really very it was it was just like survival right yeah. like we just were going a million miles per per minute I slept very little I would sleep like four hours a night because I was like I, I've got all these things that I need to make happen and I want to be a, I want to be present as a mother and so I've got to do all of these things like before 7 a.m before they wake up and I've got to do all these things after they go to bed I'm going to work for four hours you know like all these crazy things and um we were struggling fine not I mean not we were making ends meet. We're in California. Yeah. We're making ends meet. but I w- And I was working all these different businesses. He was also working for a um, uh, 
in something he didn't love. To, you know, he, he played a little bit of professional football, like for a minute. And then he started working just a job that was just a job, you know, so he wasn't terribly fulfilled. I'm overwhelmed. And then I got advice from a mentor who basically said, if you don't, you need, if you're, you're never going to be successful as an entrepreneur doing all these things, you have to pick one. Yeah. You need to pick one and you need to focus exclusively on that until you're known. Like that was the word until you're known for this, don't do all the things. And I'm, I literally, I'm a coachable person. So if someone much wiser than me tells me something to do, then I'm like, all right, I'll do it. And so that's what I did. I kind of put everything else to the side that I was working on. And I chose to, at that time, focus exclusively on becoming known for creating this fitness program. Yeah. And it wasn't because I was like, fitness is my life, or this is my purpose, or this is why I was born, or this is why I'm on the planet. I really just looked at all the different businesses that I was toying with. And I'm like, this one has the most potential. This one, there's a big need. There's a big market. People are already asking for it. I'm already doing this. It's already kind of working. And I'm just going to focus on this. So I started a program. This is in 1999, 2000. I started uh, teaching a a form of kickboxing called Turbo Kick. And it was based on... is jazzercise something you are familiar with? Exercise, jazzercise. no. Like, um, how, how about? Uh, uh, well, it was it was like um, body pump. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was a pre-designed workout. So I was creating the workout, and okay. I was scoring the music so that every move, like if you punch, there was like a sound effect. You know? Yeah. So it was like a combination for me. It was a combination of like I don't know if you've ever watched a cheer competition where they like do the yeah. splits and like. You know, oh, and I, I just I would watch it. those and I'd be like, yeah. oh my God, I, I want, I'm an adult, but I want to go back to cheer camp. And so it was like, it was a combination of kickboxing and um, dance and sound effects and flipping amazing music. I am a DJ at heart. And, <laughs> so I, I created this program and ev- it became like really, really, really popular in Southern California. Like I would have 200 people in my class or 100 people in my class and 200 people on a wait list at the height of this. Wow. And it like everyone was like, what is this workout? And it was, you know, this is when Taibo was really, really popular too. Yep. So I was capitalizing on that. And I was just like, oh, no one knows music the way I do, choreography the way I do. So I'm going to create these pre-designed workouts and I'm going to sell <laughs> them to other fitness instructors. And that business was called Powder Blue Productions. And we, um, we started just selling it to different fitness clubs and okay. fitness instructors, not to consumers. And eventually we were in, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clubs um, globally. Yeah. That caught the attention of infomercial companies. And then I signed my first infomercial deal in 2004. Um, my first infomercial was called Turbo Jam. And that came out in 2005. It was a number one infomercial. And uh, yeah, that, that was, was the beginning of our- that. Yeah. yeah, and just for us English folk, because we didn't have infomercials here, but I you know don't what, not really. So we have commercials, but an infomercial is much longer, and it's like, "Hi, I am Nicola, and this is," and then you you're there for a good five to ten minutes, going really yep. into depth. It's a thirty you? minute show. Yeah, it's a thirty wow. minute show, and you did have them in England because we have we have tons of. Oh, really? Uh, I've never, they're not kind of on like the daytime television. No, they're, they're not on now. Television. No, they're no. not on now, but they were then. 
um, you know, so in the it was half an hour and basically selling a product. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. The half an but hour. The- it's three parts. Three ten minute shows is how they're put together. Wow. And so you were the I'm 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 seeing them. We know it's like I've been flicking through the channels that it would come up and you'd be glued by someone who was good, which obviously you were. Like you would just watch it and by the end yeah. of the infomercial, you would just be wanted to buy whatever that person yeah. is selling. Yeah. And yeah, the goal is to have someone tune in, they're a little bit interested, and they're like, this is dumb, I don't need it. And then they're like, yeah. wait, I think I do need this. Yeah. Yeah, and and you were the queen, right? You were the queen of infomercials. And, and that's where you really made your mark. Like, you became a household name because of that, right? Yeah, for, yeah, for, I think for certain people, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. household, not necessarily. I think, like, now today, I'm sure you've had this happen, too, where some, you click on somebody on Instagram and they've got like 2 million followers and you're like, I, I don't even, I've never, I don't know who this is. You know, like everyone's yeah. famous today. But then, yeah, there was a lot of, it, because of the TV, yeah. um, people might not know who I was, but if I walked into an airport, people would be like, where do I know you from? Because yeah. they had just, you know, maybe caught part of the infomercial, but it, it ran constantly and we sold tens of millions of DVDs and I became known as a fitness person, but- yeah. The interesting thing, which most people didn't know, is the reason I believe I was so successful in that is because I always studied infomercials. I studied marketing. I knew marketing. I knew business. And so it wasn't because I knew fitness so well. It was like I knew how to speak to the person who needed this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, And so during that time, I also kind of became resentful of the fact that people knew me as a fitness personality because it felt like, that that's not who I am, but it, it's how they know me. I've come to terms with that now, but I do remember, um, and maybe people can relate to this, where it's like you've had success in something, but you're like, but that's not who I am. You're like, you yeah, know what I mean? like, yeah, there's, yeah. There's more to me. Yeah, I totally get that. And at that time, is this where Beachbody comes in at around this time? Yeah, my yeah. first commercial was with Beachbody. At that time, they were not a network marketing company. They oh, were just okay. Yeah, they just okay. were doing commercials, so they did mine, and then we did P90X, and then um, Hip Hop Abs, oh. and oh. then a program of mine called Turbo Fire, and then uh, and then the CEO came to myself and the other um, trainers who were creating yeah. these workouts for them. And gosh, infomercials and, and fitness was so different then. Like my first program was like I don't know, uh, maybe seven workouts. Right. And, and it sold for like 180 bucks. Mm-hmm. Today, you can't sell fitness for 180 bucks because it's free everywhere. It's free yeah. on, on apps. It's free on YouTube. Like, you know, sure. so there's a lot of my story that has to do with like timing. Right. Yeah. Timing. But yeah, so he came to us and he had this idea. He's like, you know, people are losing all this weight and they, they when they start losing weight they start thinking about supplements and they start thinking about their diet and so i want to create a network marketing company around the fitness component and you know Um, we'll we'll get people excited about it with these infomercials and then we're going to create this network marketing opportunity for people and of course i wasn't eligible to be a distributor they call their distributors i think they figure what they call them now I forget what they call them, but they're technically coaches but or maybe just, like a coach. Is it like coaches or? I think it's I think it's different now. I think they call it something else now. But um, we weren't eligible 
for um, because of conflict of interest. Yeah. Uh, but I also knew I believed in it. And so I had this opportunity to say to the people who were working. My, my husband and I own this company called Powder Blue Productions. And we had, you know, hundreds of people, not hundreds, probably 70 people who worked for us at the time. And I knew I wanted to sell Powder Blue. And I knew that those people needed something yeah. that was still the same thing. You know what I mean? Like, so here we, we were selling our own company and I talked, convinced many of them to consider shifting their focus to yeah. doing kind of the same thing, but actually getting paid. Like they weren't getting paid anything from us. You know what I mean? Like we didn't have a network marketing. It's just like they were just doing weekend certifications and selling yeah. clothing and selling trainings and selling DVDs, but it didn't have that like residual that is incorporated into a, a proper network marketing opportunity. So I knew that our opportunity for them was small and it was going away. And so yeah. I, I did all of my research. We hired an expert to evaluate the opportunity because I'm talking about like having to talk to people who I am so loyal to. Yeah. And I could not steer them wrong. So I knew I had to do my due diligence on their behalf. So we hired an attorney, a retired attorney from Amway to look at this opportunity and to evaluate it. And then to tell me like, what do I need to know? What do I need to tell other people? Because they're, they're going to want my opinion. Yeah. And they obviously said it is a great opportunity because they all, they did it, didn't they? Yeah. You know, um, the attorney came back with a very favorable report, but also the, you never know, like these companies go out of business in a day yeah. it really has there's so many variables but on paper this could be a great opportunity for these folks and so um and, and here's what it could look like and it, it could be this or it could be a zero like with anything yeah. right and so i just did that i um i put together this like i did want to do it all at once we're talking a lot of people right like you're 70 people plus family and friends and um i brought them, invited all of them to come to Southern California. I invited the CEO of Beachbody, which was Carl Deichler at the time, to just explain what is this? Because yeah. like no one, no one I knew was in network marketing. Yeah, I'd done a little bit in college. I had uh, played with a company called um, Cutco Knives. Um, just like a li- I just knife. you know, dabbled with it in, in college <laughs> a little bit. I still own the knives. But um, <laughs> so I flew him or, you know, everyone flew out here to Southern California and we just discussed what it was and then just said, you know, I can't be a part of it, but I it's I am a part of it in that you would be kind of selling me. You'd be selling something you've already been selling. All of my friends and the people that work for me, they're all fitness professionals. So it was like, you know, guys, this could be a way that because at that point, nobody made any money in fitness ever, ever, ever. I was like the only okay. one, you know. Yeah. And so um I, I was just like, this is an opportunity, take it or leave it. Like, I, I don't care either way. I love you. I just, I would feel horrible if I didn't say like, this is just starting. This is like bottom floor. This is like, yeah. you know, that moment. And uh, almost everyone, oh, not everyone, but almost everyone, I would probably say like 90% of the people like decided that day to become distributors. And some of those people are multimillionaires today. And yeah. some of them, you know, didn't do anything with it, which yeah. is typical, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Because it is all about, you know, you might be gave it, given the rest amazing opportunity, but unless you put in the time and effort, obviously nothing comes from that. But what is right. your opinion on network marketing, Shaleen? What do you, what do you think yeah. about it? I think it gets a really, really bad rap. I think yeah. partly because 
like anything, there are people in every industry who are shady, who yeah. who are in it for a buck, who do it the wrong way and give others a bad name. And that usually then creates a reputation. Yeah. The people who I know, my personal friends who are the most successful in this industry and in a variety of different businesses, you know, whether it's Arbonne or um, Rodan and Fields or Beachbody or, you know, you can name any company. I've got mm-hmm. friends in every single organization you can think of. The ones who are at the very top are the most um, respected, caring, thoughtful, do it the right way, do it for the right reason kind of people I know. The people mm-hmm. who are the most successful in this industry would be that successful in any industry. So yeah. I, my feelings on it are it's a wonderful way for anyone who wants to learn how to systematize a business. Like yeah. you learn, it's, it's like business school. You know, yeah, if you really if you, is, yeah. way, you learn, you learn leadership, you learn systems, you learn methodology, you learn how to put together a plan, you, you learn how to replicate success, you learn how important recruitment is. Like even in my own business, I'm not network marketing, but if I'm not recruiting talent yeah. for my team, I don't grow. I don't yeah. make money. If I like, you know, I hear people like bad bash network marketing, they'll say, Ugh, but it's you're recruiting other people. It's like, well, what do you think they're doing at Google? What do you think they're doing at yeah. Amazon? Like you can't make money. You can't, you can't expand your dream unless you expand your team. And it teaches you how to do that. Yeah. You don't have to have for most of these um, opportunities, you don't have to have inventory. You don't have to yeah. invent something. Like I have to, every month, I uh, so we have a physical business called um, Push Journal. We've got lots of different businesses, but this is one of my favorites, it's called Push Journal. And ev- every month I have to design a new uh, journal cover, right? Or, or several. Yeah. I don't know if it's gonna sell. I don't know if people are gonna like it. And I have to worry about that. Yeah. When you're in an, uh, a network marketing opportunity, you don't have to develop anything. You don't have to... You have to do the R&D. You don't have to do the testing. The And that's really nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is really nice. And for someone like myself who is, I don't know, I've never been tested for ADHD, so I don't know if I ever have that, but I am easily distracted. I am definitely, I'm a vision person who thinks like, here, 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 and I'm excited to do things. But the detail, you know, and like the, the you know, the, the things that I would have to do if I had my own business, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't even get off the ground because I that's not where my natural focus goes. But within network marketing, it's all taken care of. You know, yeah. and it yeah. is such a beautiful thing. And it isn't until really you kind of try to do something else that you realize, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah, trust me, yeah. I know. <laughs> I have to hire for all of those shortcomings, right? So in yeah. my own bus- businesses, um, first obviously my husband is a major um, but I don't want to say buffer, but like everywhere where I'm weak, he's crazy strong. So oh, that's perfect. a beautiful thing. Sure. But also everyone that I hire on my team, they all have, you know, I, I don't have their skill sets. Yeah. And so I have to hire for those things because, at, you know, to your point, I, I can't do it. I, sure. I don't have, my brain doesn't work that way. So I have to hire people. I have to know where I'm weak and I have to hire people to do those things. Yeah. And just quickly, I just want to add what here. You have a quote on your website that helping easily distracted, highly motivated people create a hustle-free, super dope life. My yes. question to you in a paragraph is how? 
how would you, where would you start with that? Like, mm-hmm. obviously, network marketing is one thing, but, you know, people yeah. coming to you to be mm-hmm. coached and mentored probably aren't looking mm-hmm. at a network marketing opportunity. They Good are time. looking for something else. How would you help someone like that? Yeah. Sometimes they are looking for network. Sometimes oh, okay. they don't even know what it is they're looking for. Okay. And there are people, that's one of the things I'll recommend is you should probably start with this. Um, so the way that I help people do this is by simplifying everything, simplifying complicated, complex ideas and things that we struggle with. People who have ADHD and not even people who have ADHD, just people who are like easily distracted. Like every sparkly thing, you're like, I should do that. I should do that. I could do that. I want to do that too. And it's helping them put on blinders yeah. and understanding. So I teach them a way of thinking. I teach them habits that allow them to focus and, and identify what matters most <laughs> and and how to stay excited about that and how to, you know, feed your dopamine. So for yeah. people who are easily distracted, it's not that we can't focus. It's that we we need to be really super interested to focus. Yeah. You know, if it's something I'm fascinated by, like you can't, I, I'll lose all track of time and you can't pull me away from it. It's like, I yeah. can't stop. That's, that's hyper-focus and that is so valuable as an entrepreneur, entrepreneurs, the ones I like to work with, see details other people don't see. Yeah. Everybody else misses it. And the entrepreneur, especially the easily distracted one, they're distracted by a detail because they're looking for patterns that yeah. other people don't see. Their brains pay attention to things that others miss. They watch a movie. Everybody else is watching the plot line. Someone who's easily distracted is like, I wonder how they filmed this. Yeah. Where's the camera? Wait is that person wearing a different outfit than they were in? Like they, they, right. and, and that person then is like, wait, what's happening? What, what's the storyline? I have no idea. Cause I was fully engrossed in some other part of this movie. Yeah. yeah I love that. Well, how old were you when you found out that you had ADHD? I was 45. Oh, really? Yeah. So I and didn't. And is that because I... really it's only kind of been recently that it's been spoken about. So do you think it's that it, it's, you had no idea because we didn't, it wasn't in our vocabulary or do you think you always kind of knew you were a little bit different and then, then you were able to put a label on it? I just did a YouTube video on this. So I'd love to link it because yeah, in, if somebody wonders that they have ADHD, they should definitely watch this video. Um, the reason why I got a diagnosis at age 45 is, and I'm, and I'm, I'm happy that I went my whole life without knowing because yeah. it forced me to create ways to cope right. and, and hide it almost, you know, yeah. because I was I was embarrassed by the way that my brain worked. But I got to a point where um, because of things I was doing from a lifestyle perspective, including over exercising, under eating, including, um, you know, my sleep patterns, I, I got so bad. I thought maybe I was having I, some kind of brain damage or something neurologically going on with me and I felt it shifting my personality not quick not like suddenly but just like slowly year after year after year just felt like I was getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and I was getting I'd gotten in like a couple of car accidents in a short period of time because I was distracted I was doing things like walking up to my front door of my own home and instead of unlocking my door standing at my front door clicking the little beep on my car and and yeah. going like why won't this door open and then I'm like what is what is this brand yeah. what am I doing I also we had a physical office we had headquarters where everybody worked 
and I couldn't go into the headquarters. I and we had a, a big house. Uh, like this is when we were raising our kids. So we lived in this house. It was like 12,000 square feet. And I had a big, beautiful office there. But in my big, beautiful office, if I worked from home, I could see, you know, people walking by. I could hear the gardener. So it got to when I was before I got my diagnosis, I had moved myself into a little tiny oversized closet and I soundproofed it because that was the only place where I could like not be distracted. Yeah. And I knew like this is nuts. Yeah. So I had my brain scan thinking like, do I have a tumor? Like what is going on? And it was like, oh, oh, this is, this is what it is. And then what? learning what type of ADHD I had was like, I mean, everything changed. Like that day is the day I made a mental decision to leave the fitness industry. And okay. I changed, I literally cold turkey changed so much of my life that day. Oh, so powerful. So let's talk about that. Why did you leave the fitness industry? Obviously, you've had this diagnosis of ADHD, yeah. but, you know, by all means, in this huge house, living whatever would be like is the dream. You look amazing. You've got so much money. You've got this amazing family. Everything on paper would look like picture perfect. Why would you walk yeah. away from that? Well, Nicola, I really never felt like I belong there I always felt like an imposter I always felt like people were going to figure out that I have a degree in justice morality and constitutional democracy and they're like she's a fraud you know what I mean I never felt like I looked the part I never felt good enough um I loved doing it when I owned the company and I was helping other instructors but once I became a consumer like the product. Once I became a consumer fitness professional, once I was on TV, once they were selling me, they weren't selling the workouts, they were selling me. And because of my own insecurities around like not feeling like I belong there, um, that was one thing. But then the industry itself, the what you have to go through and what, and of course things have changed, but we're talking, you know, in the 2000s and late 2000s, like, I don't know, basically from the moment I started, it was, um, hey, so uh, here, here's some instructions on how to s- strip all the water out of your body before our video shoot so that you look extra lean, okay? And, and you know, just like really keep in mind like how you look is gonna make a big difference in how we're gonna be able to market this. And as a woman, you know what that fucking means. Oops. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> Keep that out. Yeah, completely. It's you like... Know- you yeah, know what that means. yeah, it's so triggering though. I mean, for anyone, but for especially for a woman who is, you know, you're in your like hot pants and crop top to know that it's not only you thinking, do you know, what? I need to look my best, but other people looking at you thinking that you need to be a certain way is different. There's the pressure we put, on, we put on ourselves, but when they're looking at you and expecting you to show up a certain way, it's like yeah. crippling you know and obviously like now everything's changed you know everybody's celebrated for every well, side which is amazing yeah, but back media, then that's what we pretend I, yeah. I i still i still see the fitness professionals um and i think listen once you've had an addiction because i i slipped into orthorexia for sure and once you've been there, orthorexia? orthorexia orthorexia is um it's an obsession with being healthy that oh. becomes very unhealthy so okay. I would was exercising three and four hours a day. Wow. I was only eating like packaged processed protein, 
you know, like if it came in a little packet so I can know exactly what my calories and macros were. Um, it was just an obsession with wow. looking a certain way. Yeah. And that became very unhealthy. And I, I trust me, once you've been there, you, you, you can't yeah. pretend in front of me. Yeah. I know. I know what yeah. it looks like. I know the look. I know the people who are in that industry and, and in that space and in that place. Yeah. And so I can spot it a mile away and, you know, I, of course, I don't call people out, but I, I can see it. For me, it was, it just kept getting worse and worse. And, and I kept losing a part of myself because until then, all my life, I never had any body issues. I never worried about my weight. I never thought I was, like, my mom has a beautiful body image. Like, I never heard her put herself down, never was told to lose weight, never talked about those things. So I always had a really positive body image until I got in fitness videos for consumers. And then, you know, like, I remember a time when a producer called my husband and said, uh, we, you know, we don't want to hurt Shalene's feelings or anything, but... um, it would help a lot if for this next series, she got smaller and tighter, you know, like leaner. She needs to be a little smaller, tighter and leaner. And at this point, I'm already working out three hours a day and I'm eating, you know, um, it's all protein and like packaged and shit. But like I'm, I really was, I never had like done any extreme dieting. Yeah. And um, he was upset when he told me um, and basically they were like you know we, we just don't know if her next program is going to work well because she kind of looks like the girl next door and we need her to look a lot more inspirational so i went crazy i couldn't yeah. exercise so i was still working out like three four hours a day but i dramatically cut my calories to a place where it was like super duper unhealthy i showed up on set probably only like six or probably six pounds thinner right but i was already so low i I got down to like, I think it was uh, just under 12% body fat, which is so unhealthy for a woman. I lost my period. My hair was falling out. Um, I was freezing cold. I was irritable. I was moody. I was unpredictable. I was, it was just a very, very short period of time. I showed up to do that video shoot. And what's crazy about it is um, it was just one video series, but and I'll, I'll tell you the name because people always try to figure it out. It was Turbo Fire Low Impact. Not the <laughs> regular Turbo Fire, not Pyo. Turbo Fire Low Impact. I'm probably six or seven pounds thinner. But I showed up and everyone was like, oh, you look amazing. Oh my God. You look so, what are you doing? You look so good. And that's just such a mind mess, you know? You're just like, I'm about to pass out. Yeah. I'm so sick and unhealthy right now. And everyone tells me I'm amazing. This yeah. is, and, and then my whole like money mindset started kicking in like, oh, because I'm doing this, I'm going to make people money. So doing this makes me valuable to people. Gosh. And I, I remember looking into the camera to film the infomercial piece. And the line I had to read that changed everything for me was, um, and you can get these results too in just 30 minutes a day, eating delicious food. And I'm like, that's not true. Maybe someone else can. I can't. Yeah. I can't. I, I didn't get these results 30 minutes a day. That sounds like, like heaven. Or a lie. Yeah. It was, you know, and I always say this, maybe someone else could get those results. Maybe. <laughs> but at that point I didn't. And so I thought to myself, what am, who am I? What yeah. am I doing? The, 
speaking authentically and my own truth is who I am. I, yeah. I can never do this again. And so I, I stepped away from fitness in that moment. Mm -hmm. And um, I did go back and do one more video series after that. I did Pio. But at that point, I'd been diagnosed with ADHD. At that point, I completely changed my life. At that point, I had become healthy again. <laughs> Nonetheless, I knew after I did Pio, I wasn't going to do ever do another fitness infomercial or another fitness program for consumers because I knew it wasn't healthy for me. Yeah. And I know other people can do it and they can do it in a way that's super healthy. But for me, it just, because of my own, you know, issues, like I don't blame anyone. It's the industry. Um, I really don't blame anyone right. but myself. Like I just, certain people can go to a bar and have a couple of drinks and they'll be fine. And other people are like, I can't do it. And that's right. how I feel about doing fitness um, consumer videos. I, I can't do it. Yeah. yeah. And do you think that that conversation, like, you know, you're so strong and you're you're so aware, but is there part of that conversation that's still there that sometimes will be like, oh, you can't eat that, or you know, you're going to be, yeah. you're, you're going to get fat, or you're that's, you know what I mean? Because you can't, no, you can I, never yeah. not hear that now. Yeah, you've heard that. I, that has been told to you that you're yeah. not good enough. Like your worth is dictated by how thin you are, yeah. and to have that feeling. Could you ever not have that ever again? Do you know what I mean? As a, as a woman, I think we always hear this because we're inundated with it, right? Yeah. But for me, just doing therapy, which I did afterwards, and also having a husband who, as I kind of like came out of that, because I yeah. had to go through this transition, like I, I had to kind of what they call re reverse diet and I had to change my life. I had So I went from working out for like four hours a day to working out an hour. And yeah. I went from eating nothing to eating. And right. I went from not sleeping to sleeping. And uh, when I did that, I experienced some weight gain, right? I think yeah. I probably went up, um, not from my lowest, but like when I was filming most of my fitness infomercials, I hate to say the number because I think that's triggering for people, but I'll say the number that I was, I mean, that that's the number I'm supposed to be. It's a, the weight I've been all my life. It was only when I did the um, extreme uh, part of it that I dropped like six or seven pounds. Um, anyway, so that number that I maintained all my life, once I once I uh, let go of all of that, yeah. I, I gained probably like seven pounds <laughs> and I I didn't care because I felt right. so good. And my yeah. husband was like, oh my, like he was, you know, made me feel like more beautiful than ever and just like acted like I was a whole new person. And I think that had a lot to do with, I was a whole new person mentally. Yeah. I'd let go, I was just like, I could enjoy life, I could go to dinner, I could have bread, I could drink a cocktail, uh, I didn't worry about salt, you know, any of those things. And we just, he was a big part of that healing for sure. Yeah. And, th and then my body figured out like, oh, okay, we can go back to the set point. I today weigh what I weighed when I was filming 90% of my videos, which is crazy to me because I work out, I walk yeah. and I eat what I want. Yeah. So I, to think of the, the hours and hours I believed I had to do what I was doing and the the food I denied myself the 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 social engagements I didn't go to the worry that I carried with me the stress that I carried all the time about my body and to think like I didn't have to do that it's, yeah. it's kind of crazy but you know yeah. you have to go through what you have to go through and and that is just so true because 
you know, I haven't, uh, since the beginning of summer, I haven't done any exercise. Uh, and in clothes, I actually look no, I actually look thinner because I haven't done any exercise. And I look in the mirror and I'm expecting to see someone who I detest because I haven't done mm. the exercise and I haven't really, I've kind of had a really relaxed diet. And I look at myself and I'm like, or in pictures from Claire's wedding last week, I was like, oh, actually you look all right. You yeah. don't look, because it's like, because I should be eating this, and anyway, again, it's my own thing. I should eat this, be not eating the bread, and I should be exercising every day. And because I'm not, therefore, I should. I'm expected to look like a monster. But actually, like you said, like this is just naturally Nicola who I am. And sometimes yeah. we just forget just to be in the human body that we were just given, and just yes. trust that actually it's just okay as it is. Yeah, I you know, and exercise is still my absolutely the drug that I use to regulate yeah. my brain. Um, so I lift, I lift weights every single day, yeah. not every day, uh, probably five days a week um, currently. And I, I walk, I do zone yeah. two cardio, which is such a treat. I just don't beat myself up anymore. I don't, I, I don't, I yeah. used to feel like yeah. it, it didn't count as a workout unless I was physically exhausted and about to puke. Yeah. 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 Totally. Totally. And, um, and I get that. I totally get that. So yeah. you've left the fitness industry and then you transition. And what do you transition to first? How does that yeah. look like that next stage of your life? So the very first thing that we did was started teaching people online, um, creating digital programs. So I, and I did this at the same time. Like, so I'm, yeah. no one knows I'm leaving. I've just made this mental decision. Yeah. And I start building my own brand online. I start building uh, my social. I start building an email list. I start writing a book. I wrote a book called Push. It was a New York Times bestseller about these systems, like how yeah. I organize my brain, how I accomplish goals based on a feeling. And I started building this online um, brand. And the very first thing that we created was a for, I just realized this the other day, it was a program called Car Smart, and it was audio uh, recordings of me giving people advice on different areas of their life. And I copied that, you know, talk about imposter syndrome. I copied that because I thought like, what could I do that isn't my body, is my brain, yeah. will make me feel fulfilled, and, and who else has done something like this? And I remember that in college, I had the um, Tony Robbins personal power yeah. CDs and I'm like I'm gonna do something like that so I literally like found those and I was like okay so there's there's 12 CDs okay so I'm gonna do I'm gonna do 12 different audio programs and I sold this thing called car smart that was like the first digital product that we sold yeah. and then eventually I started realizing there's so many people who want who are easily distracted and they don't do well in jobs or they yeah. feel like they're dead and they need to know how to start a business, but it's so hard for them because there's so, everything is exciting and everything is distracting. They don't know the order in which to do things. So then we created a program called the Marketing Impact Academy, where we take easily distracted entrepreneurs or wannabe entrepreneurs, and we show them, here are the steps in this order. Don't skip ahead. Do not pass go. Like you... This is the order you have to do it in and let me be your big bossy older sister who's going to say, no, 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 don't do that right now. That's a distraction. And um, that program now has, I think, like 12,000 uh, members in it. And and then we just have created like lots of different 
yeah. online programs, uh, are investing. We have physical companies that sell physical products. We have partnerships. Uh, we've got brand deals. And, you know, we, I think we have at last count something like 12 different streams of income. Right. Like but they were built one at a time. Yeah. You have to build I things. I think that's important. One. Yeah. 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 And how do you feel about passive income? Like, you know, is that something that you were so passionate about? Do you believe that everybody can have that? I don't think there is such thing as passive income, to be honest. I think that there's income that's less intense, right? I think there's income that does come in while you're sleeping or you hadn't done something in that moment, but you've been doing something. And the moment you forget, like try to set it and forget it, that income will go down. Right. Yeah. So it's even, even in network marketing, somebody yeah. rises to the very, very top and oh. they've got their, you know, downline that's supporting them. If, if you stop paying attention to it, if you stop recruiting, if you stop doing all the things you need to do, then your income goes down. Like you might yeah. still be making somebody it goes down. And the same is true even of all of our um, all of our business centers there. And, and I can think of like a couple of them are coming to mind right now where it's like they're just not as exciting for me right now. Yeah. And so I don't spend a lot of time. <laughs> doing the things I need to do. And the income corresponds. Like when my interest and attention and focus on that business goes down, so too does the uh, income. Yeah. And, and you'll say you're really heavy on creating content, like social media content also with your podcast. I am, there was a, a very famous lady, I don't know if you know her, called Jessie Lee, who passed away last yes. weekend. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jessie and I were friendly. Oh. And so, and Eric Worre, um, what was it? yeah, Eric was speaking about her. And one of the things that he said, and this really hit me, he was like, if you ever doubt yourself, like to create content, look at what Jesse has done, because we're all so impacted by her because of the mm. amount of content she has created. And I, you know, it just was like, oh my gosh, yes. And, you know, you are the same with that. You share everything, don't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how do you yeah. feel about that? How do you like, you know, why is that so important to you? It's certainly not for everybody, you know? So yeah. I, I don't want anyone who's listening to feel like they have to do that. I always say you can make a tremendous impact on people's lives um, just by showing up for the right people in the right place. Yeah. For me, I am, I my faith is very strong and I believe that God gives me so much purpose. And every time like something weird or horrible or good or bad, any of those things happens to me. I just feel personally, I have a responsibility. It, the only way I can make this thing make sense is to help somebody else with it. And to help somebody else with it, yeah. I have to talk about it. I I will say that social media, in particular, my podcast is therapy. Like I work through yeah. what I've just experienced, what's happened, how I'm feeling, and I should pay my listeners for a session because it literally is therapy for me. I share every, almost every single, everything that happens to me, almost everything. Yeah. Sometimes I have family members who are like, yeah, don't talk about this. You know, I'm like, <laughs> all right, fine. They almost always tell me this. Like my brother, every time he sends me a text, he's like, hey, Shaleen, don't screenshot this and post it to your Instagram. I'm like, I'm not going to. God. Uh. But um, yeah, I share everything. It just helps me to make sense of my own life. And, yeah. it, and it, it's it's just, it feels natural, but I know yeah. that's not true for everybody. It doesn't have to be. Yeah, yeah. I feel the same with you. I feel like it's just part of who I am. 
Like I'm just, I've always been an oversharer. And then, and also when yes. I share, the um, from what I've just experienced by sharing that, people then come back to me and be like, oh my God, I thought I was on my own little, like, and I'm going through things with my little girl at the minute. And I, I'm so nervous to put it out there, but I just felt like I was lying in bed thinking, it was like a feeling I need to share this with the world. And, you know, I, I shared that with like my husband or you know, people around me, they're like, oh no, why would you ever do that? But I was like, it just feels so right. And yeah. because of that, I've had hundreds of messages, people saying, you have made a difference. I don't feel alone. Thank you yeah. for sharing. And then you're like, that's just who I'm supposed to be in this I world. It. I am just Nicola the overshares. But do the, <laughs> and the, <laughs> do the you know, in-laws, they take me aside and they'll be like, um, and I know they're not going to listen to this, I can say this. <laughs> and they're like, right, I got gotcha. you. Nicola, do you really have to say that? And, I was, and I'm like, um, well, I did. And yeah. I don't have yeah. to, but it's not, oh, I'm yeah. not, nothing bad. Like there's nothing ever bad or affecting other people, but it's just, Oh, it's yeah. got me in trouble. That's for sure. Oh my God, tell me, what has it got you in trouble for? Like, like, like being sued for defamation at the moment. <laughs> so there's that, but I don't care. It's, it's the ultimate um, way to defend yourself from defamation is with the truth. So yeah. there's that. And people don't like the truth, do they? No, they don't. No. Well, no. sometimes, sometimes they don't, sometimes they do. But yeah, so it's, you know, it's got me in trouble in that regard. Um, also, a lot of times when, like, if you're in my life, I'm, I'm going to talk about, I won't talk about you, but I'll talk about like, I have this friend, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes yeah. I'll tell these stories and I've changed the details, et cetera, so that I can share what I've gone yeah. through without identifying the person. And there's so many times where a friend will be like, I know you were talking about me and I really wasn't. But yeah. they are, then they feel kind of like that they didn't have uh, that confidentiality with me. Yeah. So I, I never purposely um, will out someone. I change enough details, but I am talking about things that I've been through, you right. know? Yeah, yeah. And talking about things that you've been through, you and I share a very common experience with, well, mine was a very positive experience, but plastic surgery. Yeah. So that is actually, when I, I didn't really realize this, but when I kind of looked back, I was like, oh my God, that's where I know you from. No. That's how you first somehow came into my life through my Instagram. Oh, sharing your plastic I think surgery really, nightmare <laughs> yeah the nightmare that you had yeah. yeah where are you with that all now well just to kind of like bring people up to speed very quickly um i went in for a breast reduction and to have a keloid uh c-section scar revised by a doctor. I did my due diligence. I checked with the medical board. I spoke to past patients. I looked at all of his reviews online on Yelp, on Real Self, etc. And what I experienced in person was a nightmare. And it was, uh, I just woke up completely like as if kindergartners had done my surgery. And I felt, um, uh, there was a, a situation, a sexual situation that I was exposed to and uh, that, in my opinion, was um, I just knew this always happens here. Do you know what I mean? I had that sense. Oh, I had that sense. Yeah. And I I started talking about how important it is to pay attention to red flags. I never mentioned the doctor's name. I just, I described one of the things that happened to me in my 
consultation that should have had me run. And I described that scenario in detail, what happened to me. And because this doctor does this with so many other people, um, I had, and my platform reaches, you know, I've got like 90 million downloads of the podcast. So it reaches a lot of women. And people started hearing that episode and reaching out to me like, dozens and dozens of women initially reached out to say like, can you just confirm for me, is this doctor? And they said, Dr. Malavi or Dr. Laguna, which is his nickname. And I was like, how do you know? And they're like, because that exact same scenario you described happened to me and here's what happened. And I just kept hearing from more and more and more women who had horrific experiences. And then I learned that he was being investigated for the death of a patient because he had allowed his he had allowed two trained individuals in his office who weren't doctors weren't weren't even nurses he taught them how to do surgeries <sighs> and so that explained why i looked like frankenstein to me that's that's in my mind that i'm like okay yeah. so this now makes sense and then you know to learn that this woman had died and that the medical board was investigating him for that and that they were specifically looking into these other people in his office doing the surgery so he could still do consultations or just go faster whatever the reason and then I then I started talking because then I knew if these people put two and two together and knew who I was talking about then there are hundreds of women out there yeah yeah I need to name him so that other people will see it maybe and go like hey didn't you go to Dr. Malavi and I I just I I because I contacted the medical board they were just wanted to silence me um, every, any organization, even the police, like they just, nobody wanted to do anything with us because it was a doctor. But I kept hearing woman after woman, like women who had a woman who had been in a coma, a woman who had her breasts removed because she got an infection while she was doing surgery with him. And he came back, brought her back in and um, told her, oh, I just need to clean some of this up. And she woke up to a double mastectomy. Like these <laughs> Like, or I'm like, this is no one would ever possibly believe this is like real life. What in the yeah. world? This be real. And just, you know, I spoke to over 80 different victims and um, spoke out about it. Of course, he tried to silence me and uh, threatened to sue me for um, defamation. I said, okay. Right. Yeah. I'm only speaking the truth. So, um, and today, now they're the Orange County District Attorney has uh, filed an injunctive relief to protect the public. They have raided his practice in his home and there's a criminal investigation that is ongoing. Today, wow. uh, to my knowledge, at last check, he's still able um, to perform surgery. I mean, don't quote me on that, but because I know that the DA is has this order that they've just filed, but I don't think that it's been ruled on. Um, and, uh, but you know what? people know now you know and that's why I continue to talk about it because if I don't it's so easy especially here in the United States for people to assume they're going to someone who's qualified to look at reviews to assume this is a big one never assume because someone has a big social media following that they're a a qualified physician they're not not necessarily and so I think it's really really uh, now today if, if you're in the United States I say you have to hire someone who can do the due diligence for you because what you're seeing online is oftentimes not what you're actually getting. Yeah, yeah. And 
obviously you'll type a person to you did but you didn't you didn't just go oh he looks okay you did probably what most people wouldn't even do and also like yeah. the, the the surgery that you had it's not even like big you know like it's just it's a simple procedure that, yeah that's so many you know it's like common it's not a technical or like and so for you to have been in that position yeah yeah it was a gift it was a gift from god right like so i i, yeah. I you say I, I had everything revised i had to go to an, another doctor to revise everything because yeah. it was horrible but um uh, I, I really feel like God protected me to yeah. be strong and to have, you know, not to have like some of these women, their lives have been changed forever. Yeah. You know, yeah. I can deal, I can deal with some scars. Yeah. Yeah. And then they sit at home thinking, I'm the only person in the world this has happened to. Why me? And it isn't until someone like you has that voice that they go, I'm not alone. And that connection yeah. by your vulnerability is everything. Yeah. And thank you for saying that. I, I appreciate that. And I accept that. And I, it means a lot to me. Um, it's emotional. Yeah. I think plastic surgery is something that we have made it seem so simple and normal yeah. on social media. Like, oh, it's just do this. But it, like, you're literally an, a hu another human has their hands yeah. inside of you. They hold your life. It's, it's, I don't want to say it's a violation, but man, it's very, it's far more emotional and personal than what people yeah. realize. The healing is far more difficult you're only seeing the good stuff you're never yeah. going to see the nightmares online yeah and you if you can afford it if it's something you really want to do i'm i'm all for it yeah but same. please i just warn every woman to if you can afford to do it you can't afford not to just pay somebody else yeah. and there are lots of people who provide the service now to do this all of the research for you yeah. so you know exactly who you're going to what you're yeah. walking into what the true complications look like, what your healing process looks like, um, what, how to set your expectations appropriately. All of those things are so important. Yeah. Amazing advice. What's next for you, my gorgeous? Where, where, where are you going now? Like, yeah. you've achieved so much. You have, what is next for Shaleen? I don't know. I never know. I never know. I, it just lands. You know what I mean? I just, mm -hmm. I trust uh, that God always has, has the plan. I don't need to know it, which is yeah. great. Um, I never have a five-year plan. Like, you know, Brett and I, we, we have things that we do personally that we love um, mm -hmm. and we're traveling and we're, we're moving to Florida from California. Right. We're going to do like six months and six months. Um, we, and then we'll do, actually, that's not true. We'll do three months in California, maybe two or three months in Europe. And then six months in Miami, we just like to be wherever the energy, the art, the people, the yeah. culture, the restaurants, the music. We like to, we, we, we can't do sleepy. And um, so that's, that's for the two of us. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what's next for me professionally or business wise, yeah. um, other than like what I'm doing right now. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I like just being open to like whatever, like I, I could have never, ever have guessed that I would spend like two years being a, uh, a patient advocate. Right. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and turning my platform into this uh, place to help women. I could never have guessed. I, I, so it's so cool the way God just goes like, hey, here's something you could do. And yeah. I just follow, I follow his lead. Yeah. Is there anything on your bucket list that you haven't done yet that wow, you want to do? Great question. That is such a great question. I have to think about it. I know there is. And I, so I'll have to get back to you on that because I, I want to daydream on it for a minute. Because I there's something recently I just thought, yeah, I've never done that. I should try. Huh. 
I'll just think on it. And my <laughs> final question for you, and this is a question I ask every single person who is on this podcast, is what advice would you give to your younger self? Mm-hmm. I would give my younger self the advice that I don't need the credit, so I don't have to do it. I can, if I could go back in time, I would have had more faith in others to do things that I felt like I, if I, if I don't do this, I'm not going to get the credit. If I don't do this and it makes me a bad mom, if I don't do this, you know, like just even hiring somebody to do our laundry and clean our house, like that changed our lives, you know, and it allowed me to be a more present mother. You know, I, I didn't have to do that. Like, so yeah. that would be my advice is um, bring people into your life and, and pay them what you need to pay them because you you will reap the rewards of that tenfold. Yeah. And just touching on that mom, working mom and getting everything in, have you ever had the mom guilt that, you know, you're striving for more, you're working, you know, you have always been a working mom, right? And did you ever have the mom guilt that, you know, that I know that dads don't have, you know, that dads don't have that feeling of, oh gosh, I should get home with my babies, yeah, I'm working here. Mm-hmm. Have you ever suffered with that? And how did you overcome it? I did, yeah. And and um, I overcame it by acknowledging it. Remember mm-hmm. at the beginning I told you I would do that assessment of the important areas of my life. And every time I would score myself lower in terms mm-hmm. of like, you know, being a mother, and being present for my family, I would then take action. Eventually, yeah. Brett and I created uh, basically rules, policies that okay. helped to develop boundaries because my go-to is to overwork, right? My go-to is to hustle, but that doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't make, yeah. what makes me feel good is being a great mom. And I knew I only had one opportunity to do that. So we created policies and procedures and, and boundaries. Uh, uh, we wrote them into contracts. Like I was the only trainer with Beachbody who didn't do any appearances because I'm like, I can't, my kids are young. I'm not going to miss a game. I'm not going to miss picking them up from school. And if that means me making less money, that's okay. Cause I, I only have this moment. I only have this opportunity yeah. once I I'm, if I believe in myself, I can make all this money and this impact. 18 years from now, if I believe yeah. in myself. And I did. Yeah. And so I, we wrote policies, like we put them in writing, Brett and I, we didn't talk about work after 3 p.m. when the kids right. came home from school. Yeah. We, uh, you know, we had people that worked in our home because that, that was our where our home office was. They all had to be gone by three. Like when the kids walked in the house, it was family. And yeah. we had, when we have, you know, just things that we agreed to at the, when the kids were younger, it's all, it's different now, right? Like now I'm like, yeah. let's go baby. But yeah. then we would only do w- one, what I would call major thing per month. Like, so that might be an appearance yeah. or it might be like me um, launching something, like something that <laughs> like I would get all engrossed in. I would only do, I would, we would only allow me to do like one per month. Whereas now I'm doing like one per day, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. It was just, it was being very intentional and you got to put it in writing yeah. because if you don't, if you don't, you will make excuses and say, well, once I'm through this, yeah. then I'll do fill in the blank. I only have to go this hard right now because once I hit this milestone, then I will. And you can make all of those excuses mm-hmm. and you get weaker with your boundaries and I find that your family and your children pay the price. And you, it's just my personal opinion. Yeah. 
if there's anything I did right, it was parenting. Yeah. And that is a whole nother podcast, which <laughs> next year we'll do. But okay. it has just been the biggest pleasure. I could sit and talk oh. to you for hours and hours and hours. Thank you so much for giving your time and on a Sunday uh, to this podcast, because I know that your words and what we have spoken about is going to impact so many mm. people. I just know it. My audience are, are mini me's, mini versions uh. of me. And so I know that I've taken such great value from, from our conversation. Mm. And I know that, you know, the word is inspire. We call this inspire our podcast that it's, it's been inspirational, but also really insightful, like mm. insights into things that you have mastered where people are potentially struggling. It's like, oh, okay, I get it. And like, we've seen mm. on the other side of that curtain that sometimes that curtain yeah. feels so big that you don't, like, where is the curtain? But you've been able, I feel like today we've been able to like peek behind the curtain and go, okay, nice. that's how we do it. Um, You're so sweet. I mean, this has, you know, uh, been an honor to be able to talk about things that I like to talk about. Like, mm-hmm. this has really been special and it was special meeting you and your girls uh, it was like, I, you know, we walked over and within five minutes, I'm like, oh, I've known them all my life. Like, let's go, you know, and plus I'm 35. So this yeah. is perfect. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, it was just uh, meant to be. Yeah, I really do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you so much. And we will, I'm sure, see you very soon.